Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com. Giants reporter. We're here. We're here with the Chris Snee episode, right? We're going to talk to the former Giant offensive lineman, one of the, one of the greats, really, on those. Uh, probably the the best offense. Definitely was the best offensive lineman, I believe, on those two Super Bowl teams in 2007, 2011. Uh, also, I mean. Just a fascinating angle, and we we get we'll get into this. Is that he was Tom Coughlin's son-in-law? Think about that for a second. That kind of went under the radar. I know we talked about it, and it was talked about at the time and in the past. But just think about that. They they the way they handled it is that it went about it flew under the radar almost as much as possible for the head coach having his son-in-law, who's you know Chris Snee who's married to Tom Coughlin's daughter on his own roster, drafted by, I mean, it's, it's just, just a fascinating angle. Uh, and the interaction between them, and I, I've seen it firsthand sometimes, especially in the building and on the field, they really, it was just a, it was, it was just a very professional relationship. But then there's obviously the other side to it, right? There's just got to be the personal side behind closed doors. So we'll get into that a little bit. With Chris Snee, his career, uh, great career that it was, and his post-playing career and what's what's going on there. So uh, that's one of the things we'll talk about here. We'll also get into. I wrote a story published. Um, this this uh, podcast is being taped on Thursday. The story published today about the Giants' struggles at home, right at MetLife Stadium. Really, over the last four years, uh, they had a good 2016 home and away, but really good at home. But they haven't been very good at MetLife Stadium since its arrival, really, since it opened. So I, I think that's an intriguing one, and I know I got a lot of feedback from fans, and, and I agree with a lot of what people are saying. We'll get we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, I want to start out with something we didn't talk about last week, but I had written a story. It's on ESPN.com. The title is uh, Giants' Saquon Barkley Making Progress, and that's in quotes, Making Progress but won't be rushed back. And I think that's something that we can't lose sight of here. And everyone always wants to ask me, how's Saquon doing? What are you hearing? Uh, you know, how much is it going to affect him this year? And I do. I think when you tear a knee and tear your ACL these days, the likelihood is that you can get back. There's a much higher likelihood than you can get back. I mean, that that's scientifically proven than in the past. I mean, modern medicine has just advanced so much. But when we're talking about Saquon Barkley, and you're talking about the Giants, who want to invest in him long term, who envision him being part of the law. I mean, John Maris said this, uh, said this is my loud and clear that you know they want him to be a part of the organization long term. He's in their plans. Now, does it make sense? They're not going to rush to sign him, right? Because he's in the fourth year, the last year of his rookie deal. They picked up the fifth year option, no, no brainer, and they want him to be around for even longer than that. But with that being said, it doesn't make sense. For the Giants to take Saquon Barkley and rush him back week one, play him 80% of the snaps. In what world does that make sense? Week one of a 17-game season. Most guys, actually, there's more shuffling in and out week one. Uh, the weather is usually hotter than it is most of the season. Teams sort of move it along slowly with guys, and, and there's less preseason than ever. So guys don't get a lot of work. It's not out of the question. I mean, what do you think the Giants are going to do with Saquon Barkley this summer? He's going to be brought along very slowly. I'm not sure we're going to see him in in live drills until, at best, 
probably, you know, the end of training camp, a week or two before the season. Like, you're not going to put him off a serious knee injury into live drills and have Saquon Barkley take even bumps. Like, that. what world does that make sense? And so I spoke to enough people around the organization to understand that, okay, the idea here is they're going to bring him along slowly. And that might mean playing 50% of the snaps once week one comes around. It might mean, okay, we, he might even be ready for the start of the season, that they're going to bring him along that slowly. Now, a lot of it depends on how the summer goes, how he's progressing. I mean, Saquon's going to want to come back, but the Giants are going to want to protect their investment. So even if he does come back, I think the smart thing to do is to bring him along slowly, and that seems to be what they're going to do. So I think they're looking at it from the right perspective. 17-game season. Remember that, that extra game, too, so, which, by the way, means 1,000 yards rushing is nothing these days. But he's not going to be day one of training camp, and I think we need to have realistic expectations with him. Day one of training camp, he's not going to be back in full go 100%. It's just the Giants are taking the long-range game here. He had the surgery, I believe it was in October. So beginning of camp, let's say it's basically the end of July, but it's, it's almost the beginning of August. So uh, October, November, December, he had three months of rehab close to it after the surgery, because I believe the surgery was in early October. So pretty much three months to heal, October, November, December. And then he'll have the first seven months of this year. So 10 months out of ACL surgery. Usually they say what? Nine to 12 months. So he's 10 months out. 10 months out, they're not just going to throw him into live drills right away. So he'll be brought along slowly. Whether that means his regular season gets delayed, who knows? Possible. But the likelihood is he's, he'll be ready for week one still, but at a limited role. Or the Giants could then decide, look, we're not even going to bring him back at a limited role. We're only going to, we're going to wait till he's, he's 100%, literally 100%. Until we bring him back, and then we're able to ease him in. So the 87% of snaps he played week one last year, who sees that happening? Not me. Even if he's back week one, I don't see 87% of the snaps. I don't see 80% of the snaps. 75 seems high. 70 seems high the first two, three weeks of the season if he's back. You know, you bring him back at, let's say, 50% of the snaps. You get Devontae Booker, partly why you signed him in there, whoever else is part of the running back mix. Corey Clement, Brightwell Armstead, whoever's there, Gary uh, Brightwell, whoever it is. Everybody gets a little bit of playing time early in the season. Want to bring Saquon along slowly. Doesn't mean there's something wrong. Progressing well. I've heard that from numerous people. But we have to be realistic with how they're going to handle Saquon Barkley. And then, really, that's the best for the Giants' well-being. Now, it's not best for Saquon Barkley fantasy owners, which I know a lot of people out there care about. DFS, you know, I would want to play Saquon Barkley early in the year, right? You want guys who get that huge playtime share. We're always on the field because when you're always on the field, it leads to more touches, more carries, more targets. And I don't know if that's in Saquon's future early in the year. Now, another thing I stumbled upon recently is... All right, so the fans are back. The likelihood is, and New Jersey opened up, and the plan is for the Giants to have MetLife Stadium, full capacity. Yip, yay. We could all be happy about that. And then it made me think, okay, let me write something about that and moving forward. And I started looking into it. Okay, it's a good thing the Giants, they get fans back. Some of these young guys who have never played. Remember, there's rookies. There's free agents. 
I think I said 63 of the 90 guys on the roster have never played a game with the New York Giants in front of fans. So it'll be good for them, right? But then I started looking at it and thinking, oh, my God, this team has been bad at home. And I know, look, they stunk the last few years, the last four years. But even judging by the standard of bad teams, the Giants have been bad at home. Like, even compare them to the Jets, who have won the same 18 games. I'm sorry. uh, No, Jets have won nine. Uh, 11 and 9, 20 games. And Giants have won 18 games. The Jets have won 12 games at home over the last four years. They have a year where they're 5 and 3 at home. They have a year where they're 4 and 4 at home. Years where they're both years they have losing records. The Giants are 2 and 6, 2 and 6, 2 and 6, and 3 and 5. And the best year is when there was no fans in the building. And it had a lot of people out there responding to me on social media and Twitter and saying, yeah, the PSLs, they, they, they pushed the blue-collar giant fan out of the stadium, and I do. I believe that is a big part of it. I do not think you're wrong. The old stadium was just louder, had more built-in home advantages. The wind in the old old giant stadium was so much more of a factor. Swirling, too. So you needed quarterbacks who can handle that. And the Giants, if you think about it over their past, had some pretty big-armed quarterbacks for that reason. So when other teams came in, they didn't have big arm quarterback. It would, it would be an advantage for the Giants. They knew how the wind, I mean, no one really knew how the wind blew, but like, you had an idea of what you were in for. Kickers, punters, quarterbacks, punt returners. Like that made a little bit of a difference. All these little differences together. There's, a, there's an advantage of playing at home. I mean, you win, home teams win, uh, I forget the exact number. I don't have it in front of me. But it's like 56% of the games, I believe. Which, if you think about it, is a, is a big difference when you're looking at a big sample size. Fix 56% of games over like a, a large sample size. You know, so that, that makes a difference. Even home teams on losing teams win 39% of games. That's a, I don't have the winning percentage that they have those losing teams have during that time. But trust me, it's lower. There's a bunch. There's usually four, four teams, three or four losing teams each year that finish with a losing record but have a winning record at home. The Giants, meanwhile, I mean, they've pretty much been even split home and road over the last four years. Exactly even split. Like 9 and 23 is the number, home and away. So really hasn't been much of a home field advantage. To me, the players are a big part of it. I mean, there's supposed to be an advantage of being comfortable in your surroundings. You don't have to travel. You know, they're, they're, they... Feed off the fans' energy. So there's really not a scientific reason the Giants should be better team at home. But in comparison to losing teams, they only won 28% of their road games over the last four years. Losing teams have won 39%. So even compared to losing teams, they're below average. And if you think about it, they really they have two winning seasons at home. I haven't been very good at home for the duration of MetLife Stadium. One of those winning seasons was 2010, right? They had a winning season, the inaugural season in the new stadium. And then 2016, when everything went great, and they went 7-1. and one. Now, granted, those were two of their best teams during the time frame. But they were also pretty good in 11, right? They won the Super Bowl, for God's sakes. They weren't bad in 12. Still had didn't have a winning record. I believe they had they went 4-4 four and four in, in 11 and 12 on the road. They did. Yeah. So... That means they went in 11, they went five and four, uh, five and three on the road in the regular season. And we all know what they did in the playoffs. So those teams were road warriors. 
So maybe you could say, oh, they're vet- veteran team, veteran quarterback. They should be, you know, they, they're they're better than most teams on the road. True, but what's the reason they're they're not better at home? Then they haven't been better at home. Just hasn't the stadium and surroundings for whatever reason. And there's a lot of them. And number one being probably uh, the PSLs pushing. Uh, I think if it's not number one, it's up there. It's in it's in the running. The building just being dull, bland, uh, pushing some of the blue collar giant fans out, making it a little more corporate. The stands not being the same, not having the same noise maybe as the old stadium. I, I think that's a factor, and it's up there near the top of the list. I mean, non scientific reasons because I didn't study or look for scientific studies. I mean, that should be my next story of like why it is that they haven't been good at home. The bottom line is, if this Giants team wants to be good this year, they have to be better at home. You know, good team at least has to be 5 and 3 5 and 3 at home. They still only play 8 games. A 17 game season is really going to throw me off. But they do only play 8 home games this year. They play 9 road games. So, it might even be imperative to be 6 and 2 because you're playing more road games now. 6 and 2 at home. So, this team with players who are not responsible for the most part at all for their struggles at home in recent years, they need to fare well at home this season. I think it's going to be a big factor. It'll be interesting to see if this Giants team can feed off that energy that's in the stadium this year. And I think there will be a lot of energy in the, in the stadium, maybe more than there has been in recent years, in part because last year there was no fans in the stands. So we really have to throw out all 2020 numbers because what was the home field advantage in 2020? Very little. Knowing your surroundings maybe a little bit, not traveling, but I think the fan part of it is the biggest part of home field advantage. To me, that's, that's the number one thing. You feed off that energy. So we'll see if the Giants can do that this year. But that's going to be a big factor in whether this team is able to make that next step and become a winning team. Winning team like the ones that Chris Snee played on. So let's get to that right now. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's bring on our guest, a special one here, Chris Snee, two-time Super Bowl winning Giants guard. Uh, One of the greatest... Giants offensive lineman in history is is it weird when when people say that to you? Did you ever did you ever think of that, Chris? Never thought of that. No, I mean, there's been such uh, so many linemen to roll through there, and um, you know, plus when I hear the word history, it makes me feel like I'm getting a little bit old. So, uh, but truly an honor. You know, I, I loved wearing those colors and uh, loved everything about my my time there, and, and especially winning. Um, you know, having, having two Super Bowls and still staying in this area, you know, I love sharing those memories with all the fans every time I see them. Yeah, you get you get that a lot. How often? How often do you, do people come up to you and say stuff about the Super Bowls? Um, well, I mean, fans that recognize me, they come up. You know, I think that's the the biggest adjustment for people is uh, 
you know, they let me interrupt and say, like recognize you because Chris Snee is down what a hundred pounds close to it from your playing weight. Yeah. I mean, I was three, I was three forty in college. I'm, I was three forty in college. I'm currently two fifteen. So, so we're talking 125 pounds less. 125 pounds. Uh, yeah, it's 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 funny to go back and look at pictures because, you know, when I was that weight, I didn't think I looked that way. You know, uh, I didn't realize that I had a couple chins and uh, <laughs> a couple rolls here and there. You know, I just uh, you, you don't perceive yourself that way when you're when. <laughs> but uh, I I feel better. I feel my age. That was a a post career decision. You made, I mean, you, you were going to lose, you were going to lose the weight. I mean, you were always a guy, if I remember right, who you had to do a lot to keep on the weight. I did. And I was a guy that kind of like studied what I, I mean, I, I didn't eat as healthy as I should have, you know, as you know, teams and players are doing now. Um, <laughs> but I, I had it down to a science where if I wanted to be 314, I was going to be 314. I mean, I, I could always manipulate my weight however I wanted to, but uh, just speaking of veterans, uh, you know, guys that had retired before me, you know, the general consensus was to, to lose the weight quick. Um, cause if you, you know, you wait, you know, four or five, six years, your joints, uh, you know, aren't going to feel as good and you're not gonna be able to run as much as I, I did to lose the weight or expert train the way I did. So I think by doing that, I, I bought myself some time and, uh, you know, I'm able to wake up most days and I feel pretty darn good. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's pretty good for offensive linemen too. So, uh, yeah, and you look good. You look good too, which is obviously uh, a huge, huge thing. Uh, you know, and it makes you feel young. So you you still got young kids. You got a whole whole life, which is a crazy concept because, you know, when you when you retire, usually, you know, it's it's like the next phase of life. You're getting older, but I don't know. You especially football players, it's like your life almost is still starting. It is actually just starting. I totally agree with you. I mean, there's there's uh, so much left that I want to accomplish and do, and. Um, you know, being put in a position now where I, I, I had my dream job, right? So now I'm looking right. for that next dream and, and uh, you know, but also being able to you know, afford myself the opportunity to, to spend all this time with my kids and, and see them through their, you know, their growth and uh, their school years. We'll get to that second dream job maybe in a few minutes, but let's let's go over <laughs> the, you know, the, the line, the 07 line, that area. It was really started a little bit earlier, uh, you know, stretched till about 11 Right. I mean, and then, yep. then then you guys started losing guys piece by piece, really starting, I guess, in 10. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, what what was it? Like, tell me about that line. What what made you guys so special, that line, in the, especially the 07 one, the, the five guys that were on that line? Well, I mean, you talk about the unit, right? And I think you uh, – anytime you're piecing together an offensive line, you want to find guys that, you know – work together so and when i said i mean just you know one guy's strengths make up for another guy's weaknesses and, and that regard so i think the way it was pieced together was perfect um you know kareem and i were able to mesh well together you know things i did well like i said he was made up for things he didn't do well and vice versa so i think that worked across the board and then i think you just had five guys who love football you know took it seriously uh, I mean, we, we, that was our job, right? I and mean, I've said this so many times since I've retired and I've told these young guys this, but unless you truly approach it as your job, you're never going to fulfill what you're capable of doing. So 
Uh, we all did that. We spent so much time together, Jordan. I mean, we uh, we ate every meal together while watching film. You know, like it's not a knock on people that sit in the cafeteria and and, and eat their lunch or breakfast that way. That's that's their their choice, right? But I mean, right. we would take our meals into the film room. We would cover. We called it chasing ghosts. We would cover every scenario that could possibly happen in a game, so that when those times did pop up, we were able to adjust. I mean, it's it's. You know, my biggest example of that would be in the in the Super Bowl when you know New England showed a front that they hadn't shown all year, basically, right? But they had done it in the past, but not that season. And uh, you know, they inserted a guy. You know, they inserted Rodney Harrison in the box, and it, it kind of outnumbered us on a gap scheme play. And we, you know, Eli wanted to check out of it, but we knew that we could block it, and we blocked it. It was like a fifteen yard run. So I remember, you know, coming to the sideline, and Flats was saying. You know, what'd you guys call here? And we said, well, we had this cover, you know, and, and it's still a joke to this day because, you know, we knew how to block it against that look. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was guessing that wasn't the, uh, the Tyree play though. Cause they like, they like to give you crap about the Tyree play. I know, I know that. Listen, those who got beat <laughs> so quickly like to make fun of me, but I say it over and over again, man, I, I had a plus plus on that grade sheet. Cause I did my job on the play. <laughs> Explain that. Explain that for a second. So every, every play is graded. So you get a plus for assignment, plus or minus for assignment, plus or minus for technique. So in that particular protection, uh, it was, we had four down base, which means I had the base was for me. So I was responsible for junior say Um, and he kind of mugged and then he dropped into the flat. So therefore, you know, my job was if he blitz, I got him. So once he dropped, then I look for help, but I mean, God damn, I, that left side got beat so fast. I don't know what Deal and Soybert were doing. And, you know, O'Hara just kind of fanned on somebody. So those three guys were beat so fast that I look like the jackass. But uh, it wasn't Kareem your guy. Really there we go. That's the dirt we need. That was Kareem, one of those and I were guys. It, looked, it made it look like side. it. The way the play unfolded made it look like it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> take, take me through the, the whole Eli uh, scenario. You get there the same exact time as as Eli, right? You're you're, you're yeah. drafted in 04. Yes. Am I, am I, that is correct, right? That is correct. 04 out of BC. What's your initial yep. impression? You, you meet Eli. When do you, when do you meet him? What's your initial impression? Um, I met him at rookie minicamp, and honestly, Jordan, uh, my head was spinning because I was more <laughs> consumed with. You know, being a future son-in-law, the head coach who was perceived by many as a a tyrant, you know, so it was like, I, I just wanted to go in. I wanted to just keep my head down, not screw anything up, not piss any veteran off and kind of earn my way into the locker room. So, you know, eventually I was able to have conversations with Eli, but it, it was, it was a gradual process. I think we were both kind of the same way. We, uh, it's funny. We, we golfed together about a month ago and we both kind of, uh, we're, telling a buddy of mine who was with us that, you know, we've got, I don't know if it's trust issues or we're selectively selective in our trust process. So we, it takes a while for us to get used to people and to let them into our circle. And uh, so I think, yeah, it just took some time to, to let each other in, but, um, and then we were roommates. Wait, when do you think, when do you think that happened season. then? Did it take, you're talking about years, months, I mean, I was quiet. And, like, I, didn't, I didn't, I didn't open up to many people. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, given the situation, like I said, I had to earn my my place in the locker room, and I'm not a big vocal guy anyway. So, uh, I mean, I would think by by the end of rookie year, you know, we 
you know, I, I would go out a little bit, but I was married with a kid. So, I mean, you know, it's wasn't big into the social scene after games very much, but uh, right. I would say by the end, you know, by the end of the first season, we were pretty comfortable with each other. Well, let's get into the idea that you get drafted by your future father-in-law, right? Right, right. <laughs> what, is, what goes through your head when that happens? So to be completely honest, it didn't hit me until the next morning. So Sunday morning, because I was drafted on Saturday. So you're um, just ecstatic you get drafted. I'm pumped I got drafted. And I, you know, I'm not an idiot. I I, I get that I was on the phone with Coach Coughlin and, and Ernie and uh, but a lot of that conversation was a blur, man. I, my heart was coming through my chest. Uh, I heard, you know, all my friends and family screaming from the from the living room of my house. Um, so I don't remember much about that. And then I remember having some drinks with my buddies who were down from BC, and my you know my uh, Kate was there, and we we just enjoyed it. Um, and then I woke up early early the next morning, a little groggy, but uh, I remember thinking. Uh, Oh man, this is going to be tough. So I just uh, right. was just getting my getting my mind ready for it. So you're you obviously. I mean, it, it's so it, I've seen you in interact with Tom and TC in the building, right? And you really do. Yep. It's like you have it's a it's a player coach relationship. It seems like, and I'm sure when you yep. go home, it, it's a it's a little different, right? But there has to be situations where you just wanted to tell him to f off, right? I mean, it naturally would coaches get on you and, 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 and did he get on you more than, more than most? Uh, no, it was, he was pretty evenly distributed amongst anyone who deserved it. And, uh, even if he didn't deserve it, uh, you know, he still gave it to you. So, um, <laughs> but you had to, at some point want to tell him that, you know, get out of here, right. Enough with this and, and, and snap back. Do you have to then think, holy cow, this is my father-in-law. You can't, I can't say something like that to my, you know, the, the, the dad of my, of my wife. I mean, listen, first thing is I would never speak to any coach of that. Like, even if you wanted to, uh, it's just always the respect that I've had for, um, for my coach. Thinking in your head. I'm more of, I'm more of a, I'm more of a glare guy, you know? So which everyone who knows Tom knows that he's got a hell of a glare too. So, there were times like towards the end, you know, um, you know, first couple of years, I'd keep my head down and just take it. But there, there were glares as we moved forward. And, uh, you know, but it never sparked to words or anything just because of, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I never messed up that, that badly or, you know, I would never you know, disrespect a coach like that. How were uh, holiday meals? How much did football talk enter? Or were you, able, you guys able to just completely separate the two? Uh, honestly, we, there was little interaction, you know, it was like one of those where, you know, he got to see grandkids and I got to not be a a dad for a little bit. So I just kind of sat back and, uh, you know, watched him interact and and enjoy that part of it. And, uh, yeah, we, we don't want to talk about football. Right. You live and die by, (laughs) you know, the games and you, you don't want to, I mean, maybe after a win, you know, like, uh, you know, he put, gets his hamstring torn against the jets. You know, it's Christmas Eve. You know, we have a couple of drinks where you know, I'm watching him eat dinner standing up while we're all sitting and you know, we make a couple <laughs> jokes about it. You know, like the wins, I guess you rehash a little bit, but uh, if there were losses, man, we didn't want to talk about that. Cause you know, one, I knew I was going to get an earful the next day and you know, he was going to deliver it. So he didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. That must be great. Which is, well, honestly, which is, standing which is, up, which is, eating which is, a meal. Like, a, he can't. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> but I, that, that's why that's why it worked for us. I mean, it's it, it wouldn't have been possible. I wouldn't have stayed for a second contract if it was, you know, gonna, you know, be a detriment to our our, our life at home. Right. So now you're you're in the next stage of your career. You you've been a scout the past few years. You were in Jacksonville with yep. TC as well. Uh, yep. What, what what's that been like going on to the other side and looking at players and and trying to figure you know who the next Chris Snee is? It's challenging. It really is. Uh, you know, so I took time off and I was you know kind of gauging: Do I want to get into a different field? Do I want to re-identify myself and, and not be a football guy? Um, and I had opportunities, and it just boiled down to like, I am a football guy. I love it. I, I don't want to learn a whole new trade, you know, but scouting is new. So there, it, it's a, it's a growing process, but it's something that I feel like I'm, I'm good at. I, I was able to develop my own verbiage and, um, you know, I know what alignment should look like, uh, having played and it's just, uh, it's really a tough position to evaluate, which is kind of what I'm trying to sell to these teams now that I am right. kind of well, on the very specialized. It is specialized. It's, it's, but I feel like it's, and I'm not, uh, you know, I think there's there's room for these guys across the board. I, I think, you know, line play and quarterback play, I think specifically need, you know, a set of eyes on them. And you, know, you can have your all, all your checks and balances, right, and not just have one voice. But, um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, younger executives across the league who see the need for this position. And, um, you know, if something doesn't crack this year, it, it will. Um, and, uh, you yeah. It'll be exciting when it does. I'm I'm sure it'll work out. But you, you've you've looked at you've, you've scouted the last few years, so you've seen most yep. of these guys firsthand that the Giants are now putting out there as their as their offensive line. I know you were actually a pretty big fan, I believe, of Matt Parrott. Uh, what do you think of this line as a whole that they that they're kind of putting together? Or did I get that wrong? I'm not, I'm not sure about the Matt Parrott. Now that I think about it, Matt Parrott was a guy that I went and looked at uh, three consecutive years at UConn. So he was a guy that I, you know, physically a guy that stands out right when you walk on the field. Um, you know, a guy right. that was you know, kind of the, the, liaison, the liaison alerted me to, you know, and, and said he's going to stick out. And physically, you saw him develop, um, got bigger, definitely by his senior year, moved from left tackle to right tackle. So the ability was there. Um, just the whole thing with him was just, you know, the, the physical play needed to improve as well as the hand use. And, you know, that's, you know, you can put that on coaching and you can just eventually put that on the individual to make those corrections necessary. So if you're talking about the, the, the physical traits you're looking for, he's got them, mm-hmm. but now it's on him. Right. How about this line as a whole? Where do, where do you, what do you see when you look at it? You've seen them in college. You see now a couple of years in the pros. I know you've, you've kept a, an eye on the giants definitely a little bit. So, yeah. You see, you uh, see, you know, you see potential for this to be a good line? I do. I Because I, I, I evaluated all of them coming out. So, um, you know, the individual pieces are there. Um, listen, every player has stuff that they need to correct coming out. Um, and I wish I was able to watch more pro film than I did. So I, I really can't speak to how their play was last year. Right. Um, but if you ask, I, I, I think the, the pieces are there. But you know, which is now they just need to come together. Like I said, it's it's a it's a it's a puzzle you got to put together, Jordan. It's it's um, right. which is why I just feel like the 
position I'm speaking of is so critical. You know, you need a guy that's, I'm even saying a guy that's in the rooms. You know, you got, if you're truly going to put together five linemen, you need a guy that's going to evaluate them, evaluate all the competition out there, then, you know, be in a meeting room and, and um, kind of put those last couple pieces together, you know, of your evaluation. So what do you feel about so many voices being in their ear, right? They have Rob Sale, who's the new line coach. Freddie Kitchens is going to be involved heavily in the line. Flats is, you know, Pat Flaherty, your old coach, is back as a consultant. Is there a such thing as too many cooks in the kitchen or too many voices in their ear? Listen, there's got to be one voice, but I think the consistency with all the successful teams is you got to be on the same page. So to me, there's, uh, you know, there's disconnect a lot of times just with scouting and coaches, and that can't be there. It, it can't. So uh, I'm not saying by putting me in a, in a room, I'm going to be a guy up there presenting, but I'm going to be back there just, you know, looking at a, if a guy's taking notes, looking at if, you know, what he's doing in meetings. I, I want the whole evaluation. So th- uh-huh. that's kind of where I'm at. And then, I, and then, you know, I'm envisioning a role for me where I'm an extension of that coach. I'm not, you know, teaching my own technique or anything like that. I'm just an extension of him when he's tied up in meetings. That, that's kind of what I'm envisioning. Well, I appreciate so, it. I mean, I, I, oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, but I want to reiterate. I, I think that's the biggest thing is this. I feel like there's a there's too much disconnect with scouting and coaches. There really yeah. is. They need, to be, they need to be on the same page. I hear you. Well, we appreciate your time. I know I know you'll uh, be back scouting out, out there scouting soon. Uh, yeah, I'll keep it in a little bit. I got some things cooking. Yeah, let's 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 definitely hear about it. Uh, and we appreciate the time. You know, one of the one of the Giants' all time greats. Whether whether you want to hear it or not, you're 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 a legend in in Giants lore. Two time Super Bowl winner, Chris. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate that. I, I just recorded. It. I'm about to golf with O'Hara, and I'll make sure I play that for him. Uh, <laughs> do that. All right. All right. Who who wins? You you or O'Hara? Who's who's the better golfer? Sean's a better golfer right now, but I'm I'm trying to catch up. I can yeah, admit make, that. So make sure he gives you strokes. I'm I'm taller. I'm more vascular. I got everything else going, but he's the better golfer. <laughs> well, you, you're all, who, who's better looking? That's really what matters, right? I mean, uh, I think that's uh, I don't know. <laughs> you can't say that. About I, think we, I think we I think we both lose. <laughs> the big uglies they call you guys right uh, that's right man that's right. offensive lineman well, i appreciate it chris we'll do it again soon. Time, feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business let constant contact do the heavy lifting for you constant contacts award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience engage your customers and sell more to boost your business now in just a few clicks you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals that includes email social sms and more so you can sell more raise more and fast track your business growth plus you can always count on constant contacts award-winning customer support for guidance along the way so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I especially enjoyed that segment right there with Chris Snee. Uh, you know, there's a little something personal there because Chris Snee, when I first got there, 2013, that was kind of his last season. He was struggling with injury at the time. I believe he only played like three games that year. But in the locker room, that was one of the first guys that I that I kind of got to know. Uh, him, Jim Cordell, uh, that offensive line there, David Deal at the time. You know, they, they, they were like the veterans. Kevin Booth had a very veteran offensive line. Justin Pugh was a rookie back then as well. Uh, so Justin Tuck was a great guy on that team to talk to and uh, really learn what that locker room was all about. So uh, I, it's, ni- it, it's nice hearing from Chris because I've asked him this stuff in the past, a lot of the stuff about the father-in-law. I mean, but it's just there's so many layers to that relationship. There must be because it's so unique. You just don't get people in that in that scenario very often. So. Uh, it really fascinates me. And he was a great, great player. I mean, he was the all pro on that Giants offensive line in his prime and really is. I mean, one of the uh, all time great Giants offensive linemen. I mean, you can make an argument. He's the greatest Giants offensive lineman. Uh, what? Like Jumbo Elliott uh, is in the mix. Uh, Rosie Brown. Uh, would be in the mix as well. I mean, I believe he's a Hall of Famer, so he probably would be number one. But number two, in my opinion, I got as as far as I'm aware now, I've never seen Rosie Brown play or a lot of the old time Giants. But Chris Snee's probably number two in the conversation, maybe with Rosie Brown for number one. But definitely, you know, I mean, number two is not bad. All time Giants offensive lineman. So, uh, actually, I don't think Roosevelt. Brown is in the Hall of Fame, but he was a six-time first-team All-Pro, which I think Chris Snee, if I remember right, was three, two or three, and Roosevelt Brown was a nine-time Pro Bowler. So he's probably the greatest Giants or most accomplished Giants offensive lineman, and number two is probably Chris Snee. So dude was a stud player. So he gets drafted as the son-in-law of the coach, but quickly I'm sure they realize this guy can play. So it doesn't really matter if he's the son-in-law of the coach. Which probably made it a little bit the, that that whole situation a little bit easier for everybody. Now, uh, all right, let's wrap this up with a little Jordan on a beat. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to be the Giants beat writer, work for ESPN, or cover the NFL in general. And I got a tech, uh, is actually a direct message from Casey Rabido, Rabido, Rabidou. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. I'm sure I did. I I don't know. I should have just said Casey. Uh, and he said he loves this this segment, and I appreciate that. Appreciate everyone that listens. Here's my question. As you get older and more removed from the player's age, do you find it more difficult to cover the players themselves, cultivate relationships, or does it make you more objective to their actual play on the field? Uh, now, I, you know what? I haven't found it. I'm, I guess I'm not old enough yet where it makes, me, it makes it more difficult to actually cultivate relationship with guys. I think I'm being... I'm not, first of all, I still can relate to the guys a little bit. And think about it. I have a two-year-old a son. He's not even two yet. Okay. A lot of these guys are young parents too. So I still have things that I can relate to them. Now, granted, I'm the old dad. They're the younger dads. Uh, but I still can relate to them about human things and things that, you know, everybody's going through. So 
I, I don't find that to be the problem at this point. Now, maybe one day it will be. And I'm able to, I have more experience now where I'm able to, I, I like to, and I didn't do this at first, tell them straight up like what I'm about. And like, here's how I'm going to cover you. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to criticize you if you play really poorly. Like there's no way around it. If you play poorly, everybody sees it. I'm going to criticize you. But I'm going to stand there and I'm going to ask you the question in front of your face. I'm not going to be one of these people in the locker room who doesn't ask the hard question, which is a lot of people, and they're back in the corner, but then they'll snipe you from a distance. So I think guys respect that. I hope they respect it. At least there's a, there's a good portion of guys I think that can respect that and know, hey, I'm going to ask you that. If I'm going to write something about you, I'm also going to go and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And I do a lot of times behind the scenes. I go up to guys. I reach out to guys and say, hey, I'm writing a story. Wanted to know if you want to comment about it. And my thing is, and I didn't, maybe didn't always do this. Or, I, you know, I'm sure I've developed along the way. Like, I didn't, I didn't have a way to reach out to certain guys, so I just didn't do it. You know, or, or you tried and you did it through the team. And you knew they would never respond. There's just different ways I can go about my job now that I'm more seasoned. And I think it's more effective. You sort of uh, polish your routine along the way, right? That That's how I feel about it. Now, let me just tell you where we're at in the player uh, media relationship. Now, I haven't even met still face-to-face a huge chunk of these guys. There's been no locker room. We're still at the point where we're doing Zoom interviews with everybody, including the coaches. We're at the point still where we're at practice outdoors hundreds of yards away from, you know, the players with like 30 media members, maybe 30 to 50 people standing on the Giants patio in a huge wide open field. And we're still wearing masks outdoors. So we're still not back into regular media access. We're still not back into open locker room. And the question is, when are we going to get back to that? And are we going to get be able to get back to that this year? Is there going to be a point, and I think it's a, It'll be interesting to see how this plays out where we as media are allowed in the locker room after games. Are they just going to stick to the zoom? That concerns me because you're limited when you're stuck to the zoom. Like golden Tate fought Jalen Ramsey last year, like that in that game, obviously after the players are obligated to talk by the way, after games, we want, everyone obviously wants to talk to golden Tate. If it's an open locker room, when golden Tate walks through, he pretty much has no option, but to talk to you. Guess what? Golden Tate wasn't made available. Everyone asked for him. No. And somehow Golden Tate wasn't, we didn't get to talk to Golden Tate. So, and, and surely you as fans, you want to hear like, what the heck happened? Right? I mean, no basic questions. Like what happened? Why? You know, any, are, are you sorry that it happened? Did you want this to happen? Did, was there anything during the game that prompted this? No, instead, everything kind of gets, this is an opportunity for the team and player to, I guess, bypass it. All of a sudden Golden Tate somehow wasn't available. Nobody got fined last year. There was no like, oh, we didn't, he wasn't available after the game. Doesn't get a, a talking to or fine from the league for it if they don't make them available. Just kind of our, what's well, the COVID season? This is kind of the way it is, I guess, right? But this is where we're at with the media, player, even coach relationship or interaction at this point. So uh, that's kind of what it's like to be the Giants beat reporter for ESPN, covering the NFL in general. We're still not back. Now, hopefully, everything opening up kind of in New Jersey over the last few weeks, really, I guess last week, kind of opened back up. 
where you don't have to wear masks to a lot of places. Outdoors can have full capacity. Uh, indoors, I think the limit was lifted. All these things. Masks are basically coming off. You go to stores now. Majority, at least from what I've seen, people don't wear masks now compared to do. And that's we'll see how that translates into what the press player interaction is going to be moving forward. So hopefully by the summer, hopefully by training camp, we'll be back at least to uh, in-person interviews to some degree. Hopefully fully. Because I can't get you the same kind of unique stories if I don't have full access to players. It's just so much harder, right? You try, but if you have to ask the questions in front of a group setting, you try to avoid that because then everyone else is going to get that story that you're working on. So it creates a little, it's definitely a harder working environment. So just wanted to give you guys a real Jordan on the beat uh, of where we're at right now. It is early June, 2021 post. Is it post pandemic? I guess we're getting to the tail end of the pandemic might be better than post pandemic. So, all right, that's the end of this breaking big blue. As always, you can find me on all social channels, like subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, tell your friends to tell their friends, and then we could all be friends. I'm Jordan Ronan. You listen to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.